0: Stern, Jim Rome,
1: Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue
0: Central show. Alright, welcome back. We're getting ready to get the origin story of Doug Shiding here in just a second. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield Fresh Pork. Go to smithfield.com get tips and tricks from Chris Lilly, Ernest Cervantes, Darren Worth, and Chiles Cridland. Some of the best pork money can buy. So head on over to smithfield.com and check out everything that they have going up. Without further ado, you know him, you love him. He is the longest-running embedded correspondent that I have here on this show. And he is none other than the pitmaster of rogue cookers, Doug Scheiding. Hey, Doug. Doug. Hello. Doug's punched out. Doug will be coming back in, no doubt. It had to. Have, it always had, it's like the third. Uh, the third guest that always goes bad. Maybe I got to ditch this line.
1: I'm here. All right, there you are you see me i was here i was like i could hear you talking yeah
0: i don't know maybe this line i got to get rid of who knows it goes it always, back
1: to like the yeah. first time i was on sort of right. thing you know was, right. out of the memory coming full circle. how about that
0: <laughs> all right uh, doug shiding joining me here on the show uh so we're gonna get doug's origin story here as i had mentioned uh this will be a bonus hour or so So uh, we're recording, so if you can, you got to go to bed or whatever the case is. Go ahead and do what you got to do. You can get this probably on Friday or Saturday as a special release. But uh, obviously, I wanted to uh, knock out two of the three embedded correspondents. I don't actually have any goddamn idea, Doug, how we would have pulled off three embedded correspondents uh, during this evening tonight. So... I hate the fact that John had to miss tonight because of the circumstances, oh. but this will certainly. <laughs> That's uh, what i own you. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, here we go, though. Uh, Doug Scheiding, where
1: and I, when were you can born? Can you hear me? Yes, I yeah. can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Thank goodness. Okay. Yes, all right. All right. Um, I was born. I feel like, you know, I'm on Barbara Walters and you're going to make me cry. I hope or so. I'm Ma- Mariano Rivera and I'm the Sandman, you know, having to bring in the closer for the end <laughs> of the night. But um, I was born in Lubbock, Texas. So uh, I am a Texan. Um, as we've discussed, uh, I think in the past, you know, I have moved many times when I was young. So uh, we were there for a few months and then we moved to uh, san antonio and but anyway we moved quite a bit when i was young
0: all right uh, so what was family life like for you as you were growing up prior to getting into high school
1: um well the vietnam war that was that was in there so dad had volunteered he was an instructor pilot in in the uh the air force and he had volunteered i think in 66 67 right you know i was born in 66 so he had he volunteered to go over there um, right as, as i was born and they didn't uh, he was an instructor pilot so they kept him in uh his position until about 69 when he did go over to Vietnam. And so he, he did two tours over in Vietnam, 69 and 70. So I remember, you know, getting the little cassette tapes back because he would do the, the the little cassette tapes and we would play it and I would be able to hear his voice and, and those sorts of things. And I remember going to Hawaii when he was on TDY from Vietnam to, you know, meet with us for a week and, and stuff. So um, I, I remember some of those things and, I, gosh, I would have been four, four years old or so. And, uh, but, uh, you know, when, when we came, you know, when he came back in, in, in 70 or so, we went to Denver, but, uh, you know, prior to that, we had been to Lubbock, San Antonio, Del Rio, Clovis, Fort Walton beach, and back to Del Rio and then to Denver. But, uh, you know, so when dad came back from, from, uh, Vietnam, I'm told that he was kind of a changed person So, because he used to be a fun loving type type person. And when he came back from Vietnam, he, um, uh, you know, felt it was during the time that, you know, it was kind of a hippie time and he felt ashamed of what he had done and and didn't feel like America, uh, you know, serving for his country and stuff and didn't feel like America really supported him when he came back. And so he was very reserved and uh, really, you know, really didn't interact too much and, and didn't have much interaction. And so um, that kind of affected our relationship for a long, long time. And so um, I had a closer relationship with my mother from, you know, basically through through most of growing up and, and not my father.
0: Does he, uh, I mean, this is a completely different time, but um, I, I ask because I, I wonder if it's available at that point. Was he somebody that, you know, realize that he wasn't getting support from people around him, from general public. Uh, I mean, it's uh, sad that he was ashamed of you know what he was doing. I mean, was he ashamed because people were making him feel like that or, or did he just yeah. not agree with things that were going down that he was uh, under command to do?
1: Uh, A little of both. I mean, when he walked off the tarmac off the plane on the tarmac, someone, uh, you know, a hippie looking guy, um, walked in front of him and, and looked at him and then spit at him, um, as he's, you know, coming back to America, you know? And so, and, and, and when we went to Denver, Denver was very, um, loose, you know, and, and, and kind of free. And, you know, being military, you're part of the solution or part of the problem. And, uh, For example, my first and and second grades that I went to in in Denver, they weren't called grades. They were called pods. And so, you know, and there were no wrong answers to the questions and stuff. So like my dad still, you know, we would they would have teach parent teacher con, you know, conferences and stuff. And so he'd ask the teacher, you know, because they'd want us to go to the gully and count the number of trees on one side. He'd say, Well, how many trees are there? Well, that's not the you know. It's about the process of counting the trees, and you know, one time he came to the school for another parent-teacher conference, and said, you know, there was a kid urinating on the outside of the the uh, the building, and you know, we played in sandboxes, and we did, you know, all kinds of. It, it, we it really wasn't a school. It was more like a giant play yard. Montes- you know my a, first a Montessori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of you know but you know a pod yeah. who's ever heard of a pod and uh so you know you know i i made clay stuff i played in the sandbox you know i i learned math by by uh, little sticks of of you know that were different links and that's how we learned mm-hmm. we learned math you know so it was it, it was very um uh outward thinking, yep. you know, forward thinking, very loose and wild and free. Does My first couple of years.
0: Does your dad ever look to go, you know, seek any kind of self-help uh, realizing that he's not getting supported from general public and he's having his own demons from, uh, you know, doing whatever he had to do over there under command?
1: Yeah, no, he he basically just just buried himself into work. You know so he was in the air force, and so at that he went there and got his master's. And then we, uh, from Denver, we moved to San Antonio. Um, and so here he became a, an engineer, a structural engineer on the C5. And uh, if anyone's interested, my dad has actually written a book about this because uh, he didn't come back from, from Vietnam till 2009 and he wrote a, a book called The Long Return. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, since he's written that book, and I've actually you know got him into some few clubs and stuff he's he's actually much more gregarious now so he's a totally he's a totally different person but um he, he just buried himself into into work and uh you know so i you know and so he was off doing work my mom was actually a high school teacher and so you know like like Rusty said, you know, from a latchkey stuff, you know, that was, I was a little bit of that. And, uh, but my brother was, I actually had a brother and he was, he was born seven and a half years after me. And because of the Vietnam war, my wife, my mom didn't want, you know, she didn't want to have a kid while dad was gone to Vietnam and have two kids. She just wanted to have one. So that's why there's so many years apart, apart from us. But, uh, you know, in, in, in San Antonio, I, you know, I just, kind of did things with kids and stuff like that and kept, you know, tried to keep myself occupied because my parents were always working.
0: Was there another sibling aside from your younger brother then or just you two?
1: No. No, just the just the two of us.
0: All right. Uh, so getting into high school, um, how do you remember that time? Are you into sports? Are you a good student? What's it like?
1: Well, we we moved from San Antonio. We moved to Montgomery, Alabama. And I never really... I didn't really care too much about school, et cetera, but, um, we moved to Montgomery and my, my parents, specifically my mom, she wanted me to get into private school. So I had to take an IQ test. So I took an IQ test and magically, I have no idea. Um, I got into to private school and they wouldn't tell me what I scored or anything like that. And so I got into private school and I'm like, eh, I'm going to show these little, private school kids that I can do something. And so I actually started, uh, I was playing baseball there. Um, I think we spent about 18 months or 20 or 24 months there. So I started playing baseball. Um, my best friend, Charlie, he was, he, his dad was the coach and so we played baseball on his team and stuff. And so then I, I kind of started feeling competitive and that's where I got some of my competitive um, juices. I also started playing tennis there. And, uh, there were, they kept score in terms of the grades and how you did and that sort of stuff. And so I, um, uh, I, I, I started being competitive and so I, I, wanted to be do better than, than those rich kids that were there. And, um, so that, that actually kind of formed me and, and, and affected me from that standpoint. So um, uh, and we spent two years there. My parents actually moved before the school year was over. And I stayed with with my buddy, Charlie. And I was on the state um, uh, team from Montgomery and we lost in the finals um, uh, of the state championship, you know, to go to the World Series and stuff. But uh, I was a pitcher and played third bl- base and, uh, and also outfield and uh, had a good time. I, I really liked it.
0: Did you have any aspirations of, or was there any c- collegiate talk at that point? I mean, that's a pretty high level team you're on.
1: Um, yeah, there there, w- there was some talk, but, you know, I moved and, uh, you know, my parents moved back to Clovis, New Mexico. I found it interesting. Derek <laughs> mentioned Clovis. I'm like, Clovis, yeah. yes, wow. yeah. So, you know, that, and that was our second time back to, to Clovis, you know, so, um, you know, so my parents moved and. You know, one one of the things that, you know, it's weird, the small things that kind of affect you as a kid, right? But, um, you know, they moved and and, uh, I had a coin collection and my dad cashed in my coin collection as regular coins when they purchased the house because I wasn't there and stuff. So then I was like, okay, I'm not collecting anything the rest of my life. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know, I got back. I'm like, what do you mean you cashed in my coin collection and stuff? And so that actually affected my relationship with my dad for a few years um, from that. But when I moved to Clovis, um, I decided to give up baseball and just go tennis full time. Hmm. And uh, so that, Um, and we, we, Clovis is a small town, 35,000. Um, when I, that was uh, eighth grade, eighth, ninth grade, I was an outsider because I was military and, you know, moving into a town, there was, you know, sections, you're military. And then there were like, you know, the cool kids that were there part of the town and and sort of thing. So, but because I played tennis, I, I actually got in with some of the, the more popular kids and, uh, that were you know, uh, well-known in, and so actually, you know, started kind of moving up if you will, and getting in, getting in with the cool crowd.
0: Uh, what year are you in high school?
1: Uh, I was in high school, let's say from 80 to 84 or 81 to 84. So, and, uh, you know, back in the hair nation days. That's yeah. why I, you know I had a hair nation, a little bit of a mullet, and uh, yeah. So I was in an air band, air band in, in high school as well. So, ah, many uh, people, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So
0: I I would assume you're a fairly decent student as well.
1: Yeah when when I um yeah when when I went to that 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 private school I I uh, uh, decided that I was going to be a good student. And that actually won me favor with my parents. And so that was kind of like the, the approval. The, the bar was always set up this high for me and, you know, always trying to get approval from them and being the firstborn, et cetera. So um, actually in high school, I was the valedictorian, oh, wow. but because, and I had the highest, you know, I had above a four GPA cause I took AP classes and stuff like that, but, you know, a little bit of politics. Even though I was a tennis player and on student council and stuff like that, there were three of us that had a, above a four o, and but I had a, the highest. They they didn't have me speak as valedictorian or anything like that. They had the student body president speak, huh. and so the none of the three of us spoke. But it was okay. He was he was my uh, doubles tennis partner, um, and, and I actually wound up playing you know football at Baylor and stuff like that. So he was he was a good friend, good athlete, and and stuff like that. But um, high school was. Um, um, was a lot of fun. Played played tennis. Um, never got to go to prom because I was always playing state and tennis. Wound up, uh, my senior year, I was fourth in the state wow. in, in tennis. And, and, uh, at that time, I was, you know, thinking about going, you know, uh, to college and playing d one you know, type tennis and stuff. But I um, had a full getting, ride at New Mexico State. Okay. I was going to say, were you getting offered? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had a full ride at New Mexico State. Um, but my goal in, in, in high school, was um uh you know basically coming out of high school was to be a days drive away from my parents i wanted to be 8 hours away i didn't want them popping in on me and so i i turned down new mexico state i turned down texas tech they offered me a small scholarship and i went to and i was texas a&m um i remember watching them on football you know on tv and stuff and i'm like i want to go to a&m plus I know you've asked, you know, this is probably one of your questions and stuff, but, um, I, you know, my, my dad being an Air Force pilot, he flew F 111s in Clovis. Um, I love planes. I've always loved planes. I always loved, you know, flying, flying Braniff, you know, back when that oh, was yeah, big. Right. And, uh, I, he was a aerospace engineer. And so I took all the, what is it? The Myers-Briggs test? Is it the Myers-Briggs or whatever those tests are that says you know, kind of what your personality is and, you know, how it matches with other people in different industries and stuff like that. Engineering was mechanical engineering and, and other types of engineering were, you know, probably five or six of the top 10 that I matched with. Wow. And so I debated going mechanical engineering or aerospace. And uh, I made up my mind, I was going aerospace and AM had one of the, Top ten aerospace schools in the in the country as well. So I said, okay, I am going to A and M, wow. and so I knew two people at at A and M. My one was my cousin, and the other one was another guy from Clovis High School, which I didn't like. So I, uh, <laughs> uh, it was just going to be a new beginning for me. Yeah, and I, so I, I, just, I took it that way.
0: Hmm. Um, we've cursorily covered this, um, you know, many okay. many moons ago. But you know, as you are right. moving around and moving around. Uh, like, how does that affect you? I mean, you're a little kid. You're moving around. You're um, middle school. You're moving around, and high school. You're moving around. I mean, usually when transfers happen in high school, I mean that's a a real big deal for a lot of parents. Where you know, if they're, go- and, and you know, I was one of those kids that uh, moved. It was the middle of sixth grade, and you know, I, I'm sure there was a lot of um, talk between my parents I am not privy to any of that talk but uh, I'm sure there was a lot of That talk. was your
1: first and only move? That but, was your I first I mean we had moved move when move I was then?
0: when I was younger and okay. it was like you know nothing that I really remember like I, I recall living like Saratoga. I mean I knew you know I have like some memories of horse heads and uh, one weird memory of getting locked out of an apartment in Henrietta Highlands but I mean way way young. Right. Um, Saratoga so the big move for me was from New York to Cleveland. And, you know, here yeah. I've uh, stayed ever since and my parents have since moved down to Florida, um, back in 97. But, um, you know, I, it was one move, it was sixth grade. Uh, and I fear that it, um, I remember my dad recounting a story saying, you know, well, in the middle of, of high school, he had an offer to transfer to Florida at some point. And like, it was never even mentioned. They just. You know passed on it they weren't going to pull us out of high school because of how it could affect us and or or what yeah. it would have uh, effect wise on us and so um, I wonder as, as somebody who just moved constantly I mean more than anybody that I ever know um, you know like how does that realistically affect you uh, like every time and then uh, more importantly like how is that building a personality of, of Doug Scheiding as a
1: youth? Yeah. So, yeah, we moved twelve times between. Wow. We, you know, when I was born, when I was born, and then you know, when I graduated from college. Um, so, yeah, as as I think I've mentioned before, uh, you know, I was more of an introvert, and you know, occupied myself with with you know, back then the handheld video games, and you know, I'd make up stuff, uh, you know, games to play in my room and stuff. But um, yeah, I had I had trouble having long-term relationships. And um, uh, so I would, I would develop maybe one, maybe two relationships at each place and not really care about making friends with, with other people. And um, that carried over for a long period in, in, in my time and still does to us, to a certain extent, you know? So um, sometimes when I go to parties, I kind of revert back to my old ways and I'm like, who am I going to know here? And why do I want to talk to these people? Cause I'm never going to see them again. And, and so that's kind of my attitude going in, or at least it used to be. And, but, but now, you know, heck I can talk barbecue with anybody. You know, a lot of people want to talk barbecue. So, but, um, but uh, when I got out of high school, I was, I was more of an introvert. You know, when they, when I took the test, I was on the introvert side as compared to extrovert. So I'm probably gone the other way.
0: Were you always, thinking that so if you made those two relationships were you always just waiting to hear that this week is the week that we're going to learn that we're going to be moving again
1: yes and in fact I, i went through junior high in high school kind of fearing that 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 as well because my dad was given the choice when when we moved from montgomery to to go to to england because it had been a while since he had been overseas i guess you have to go overseas so often and stuff and so or clovis new mexico clovis was considered remote duty yeah you know it's in the middle of stinking nowhere and you know it's right over the texas border kind of a triangle with lubbock and amarillo basically so we're nine you know clovis was nine miles uh, over in the end that was actually i consider clovis my home i went to high school there you know and several times we stayed wound up staying there for what a little over six years i guess i guess my parents were there for eight um but it was because my dad kept going up and you know he was a pilot then he was a uh, instructor pilot then he was a squadron command you know he, he kept moving up the the chain there so they allowed him to to stay there and so it was actually very beneficial for for me because i then i did develop a lot of relationship uh in in high school mm-hmm. um and you know that's uh, anyway, so yeah, I developed a lot of relationships with with guy friends, but girls, I always, I, I I never, and we'll get into this with my wife, but I never had a relationship longer than three months, um, even in high school <laughs> and in the first few years of college.
0: So you get into A you're, uh, I assume you're choosing the aerospace engineering major, uh, which is yeah. like an incredibly Lofty and academic major, um, no doubt about it. So, uh, how does
1: college uh, unfold for you? Um, I, I actually, my mom encouraged me. I had tested out of a few classes. My mom encouraged me. She goes, "Ah, go ahead and take them and get the easy am Like, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I'll will do that. Yeah. You know, even though I had clept out of them and stuff. And so, um, my first year. I had goals. I had big goals. I wanted to learn how to play quarters fight and and make qu- You know the qu- game quarters, the drinking game. You know, yes, <laughs> yes. This is my big goal. <laughs> Do I know? Yeah, yeah. I think I okay. was a master. All right, so there you go. Point. Oh my lord. Okay, yeah. I could shoot a quarter five different ways. Wow, and oh, I could make it. I mean, my best way was off my nose. Right, you saw the the jerks that did it off their nose. I could make it into like a beer can into the opening. <laughs> so many times. And so then, so then people would, you know, make the rule, you know, depending on the table and then they'd make the rule, well, you can't shoot off your nose. Well, so then I could shoot it out my mouth. I could shoot it off, you know, like a gun. I could shoot it from the front and then I could bounce it from the side. And so I, I, we would practice quarters all the time. Wow. And so that I, I did, I drank a few Cokes that year.
0: how do, how do your gra- how 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 does that reflect in your grades
1: that is yeah that is, that is funny i um i made two b's that semester one was in english which i thought you know my mom was an english teacher you know when i was growing up so i thought i was a literary genius i found out when i went to college i wasn't quite so good in english as i thought i was yeah. my first grade in english was a d and i went and talked to that professor Every time there was a paper and talk to him about what I did wrong in the paper. So I wound up with a B in English and a B in, I think it was physics. Um, and I think I'm not sure they gave any A's in that physics class. And, and in fact, I, I think I had a, th- a 35 average going into the final and i pulled and i didn't even study for it and i pulled because i could guess and get a 35 and i and i didn't even study for it except for the last 2 days before the final and i got a 40 and that raised my grade to a b wow you know by they curved it that much and um you know the professor was never there and stuff and so but uh yeah so the though i made those two b's and then the next year i pledged a fraternity and the busier I got, the better I did. I made a 4.0 the next year and my roommate made a 0.6. I think it was, we were, you know, we were out till two in the morning, you know, having lineups and all that stuff. Not that that ever happened, but, but, um, you know, we had that kind of stuff and, uh, and and the busier I was, the better I did. So then that's when I really started applying my, you know, my freshman year, I just kind of jacked, you know, jacked around, and, yeah. you know, I gained my, I gained my, you know, 16 pounds my freshman year since I wasn't playing tennis. Cause I actually was promised a spot on the A&M tennis team. And that's the, when I worked learned about the world of politics uh-huh. you know i went through a 64 man draw i wasn't even supposed to you know have to go through a draw so we went through it i lost to a junior college transfer 6-4, 6'4 in in the final in the finals and he had played this he had played two years in junior college and so he got the right to play a guy on the top uh on the team he played the number five guy almost beat him wow and i'm like Jesus. I can play on the team, and and the coach, coach Kent, Kent goes. Uh, he goes. Well, he goes. Y'all did good. He goes. But I have eight South African players, and I'm only supposed to have six on scholarship this year. So come out next year. You're really good. We'll we'll have you out next year. And I'm like, see ya. <laughs> And uh, so I, you know, I played intramurals. I think I, I I think I lost in the semis and in intramurals and won the doubles and in intramurals and stuff. And then I just gave up tennis. So I was like, ah, eh, forget it. So it, it worked out in the end because I, you know, I had a lot more time to practice quarters and stuff my freshman year. Important. And then uh, starting, starting uh, my sophomore year, that's when, you know, the, the education kind of kicked in where it was kind of hard much harder but um I did better I got a 40 and you know so that was my first one and then I was like okay then I became driven I was going to be be the best in my in my class
0: Uh how does college finish up then
1: Um I finished number 1 in my class wow. I made 3 Bs I made one other B and that was on a team project and some douchebag didn't do his part and his part didn't work Yeah <laughs> right <laughs> to use your terms I'm quoting yes. I'm using your quote douchebag so anyway, so uh, yeah, I finished with a three nine four or something like that, wow. and uh, number one in my class. And I actually was uh, was selected as the top aerospace student in the nation that year. Really?
0: Yeah, I holy was. Yeah, holy moly,
1: in the nation. Yeah. Wow. In the nation. So by the AIAA.
0: Um, being the number one coming out, uh, like, what does that afford you? Do you have? Uh, job offers coming out. Were you interning uh, during your college years? So uh, you had already made inroads. I mean, this was you know pretty high level stuff.
1: Yeah, I you know because we moved in the summers, I really didn't get to intern except my my before my uh, I was four and a half year plan. So my last half semester, I set it up that I was taking twelve hours, and I ca- I call it my victory lap because, you know, we had, I had psychology, sociology, you know, easy stuff. And, and so I, I traveled, I traveled the nation that semester and just interviewed. And cause I wanted to, I always had my mindset that I was going to work for general dynamics. I love the F-16. That's one of my favorite planes. And even though it's a single engine plane, I, I just love that plane. And so I was like, oh, okay, so I went to Boeing, I went to Lockheed Martin, I went to E3, um, I went to NASA, and, and this was a little scandalous. Um, there was a two-day interview set up you know, with you know various departments down there and stuff. And so I left after, after the first three hours. Wow. And they said, what do you mean you're leaving? And I said, I'm leaving. I'm having someone come pick me up. Because the people had not even read my resume when I went into the interview. And I'm like, okay, they're just a little. Congress mandates that you have to have 50 people for this job, and they just want people in there, and then you're a little checkbox. And I'm like, that's not that's not what I'm after. And so it was during this interview process that I really kind of understood I wasn't going to fit in a large organization. And you know, Boeing they have the totem pole, and you you weren't necessarily totally promoted based on, based on the job you did and everything. I'm like, okay, so you're out. And general dynamics, I interviewed for black, you know, they, they call them the the security, you know, they call them black programs yep. where you couldn't really, you know, go inside. And so I, you know, interviewed in the lobby of general dynamics and I'm like, they, they offered me cool things that they were going to tell me to do, but they really couldn't tell me what I was going to do. So I said, okay, you're out. And so, so I, I basically went around the country interviewing at different places and stuff. And so, um, I had, I had, um, I narrowed it down to three and one was the Exxon management program, but it was in new Orleans and I wasn't real wild about living in new Orleans. And then the, the next one was, uh, E3, which, which did some things kind of related to satellites and see, I love planes, but I hate satellites. I mean, I, I have no desire to to go to the moon and get in a satellite and, you know, no, no oxygen. Forget that. So and and then the, the last one, the only inter- internship I did was the summer before my victory lap or victory semester. And I worked for a little small company. And in aerospace, we did something called um, it's called finite element analysis. Basically, it's computer simulation. So. You know, uh, y- you take a structure and you divide it up into real small, small mathematically um, predictable elements, and then you put them all together, and then subject them to whatever stress that they're going to go over, like when they're flying. So, on the wings, you know, the the stress of the air, you know, the air going over the wings, and how that pushes up, and, and, and those sorts of things, and you you can you can do that on the computer. So that's that's what I I liked. When I was at uh, in college, and, and so I said, "That's what I'm going to do when I get out." And so when I worked for this company here in San Antonio, um, he said, "Come and see me the last." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll come and see you." And and so I told him, "Hey, I'm I think I'm going to go with Exxon because they were offering the most the most money, and I was going to do a management program where you do six 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 and six, um, you know, six months here and in different programs, and so it was it was a management track to to go up in within Exxon and and he said okay he goes what are they offering you and i said you I know i think about 35,000 or so he goes okay i'll do that plus five plus five so that was 40,000 back in you know you know the 88 or so and i'm like oh, okay and so he goes and, and you'll you'll be able to do your own you know your computer simulation i've got a project to for you to do right away and you'll be your own boss and so it was him someone else and uh, his wife did like the bookkeeping and stuff. so I, I started there and, and uh, wound up staying there for three three years um, excuse me 10 years and grew it from three people to 19 people and um, uh, we did software sales we did software consulting I was in charge of consulting. And then I was also in charge of the sales. So I would uh, hire salespeople. They'd leave and then I'd go and sell some. And then I'd <laughs> go back to doing consulting, you know, because, you know, I, I got a little tired of being in front, you know, front of the computer. You know, back then we, you know, the fax was really cool. Yeah. That was really neat. I, I'd start a job, you know, the 386, 486 was big. So I'd, I'd start a job like at 10 at night. We'd have to live close to work. So I'd go back in at two or three just to see if it would wor- be working. And, it, you know, that I didn't have some... Programming error and stuff, and so we live real close and stuff. But um, uh, I got a little tired of that, and so I did more of the sales and stuff. And so, um, but anyway, long story. But I interviewed. uh, I interviewed with him last. He matched it plus five thousand. I got to do whatever the heck I wanted to, which kind of goes, you know, with what I like to do now is whatever the hell I want to. And that I took. I took that, and so it, it was formative from the standpoint of. I've always worked for small companies and and, uh, I just like to, you know, to be in charge of my own self and not have, you know, multi layers of management on top of
0: me. So you're out of college. You have a job that you're there for 10 years. Uh, Where does a Mrs. Doug Shiding make an appearance and uh, tell us how that love story happened.
1: Miss Jen, um, I always envisioned, and maybe this is because my mom had envisioned this for me, is marrying a, a, a sweet, you know, uh, sorority type type girl, you know, and, you know, pr- prim and proper, etc. So, um, uh, but that's not who my wife is. And my wife is awesome. She is a tomboy. And um, we, I was walking across campus. And she, she walks by, you know, an A&M is a pretty conservative campus, you know, any Aggies and stuff, you know, the core of cadets and, you know, very conservative. She walks by and says, Hey, Doug. And I'm walking with my best friend who I pledged the fraternity with um, David Sperlin. I'll see him this weekend. Uh, I looked at I. I kicked, I literally kicked him in the ass. I said, who the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) And she's walking barefooted, right? I'm like, who is that? You know, it's pretty noticeable. Well, come to find out she had seen me at a fraternity party uh, early, early in a semester, our junior year. And she had gone with a guy that was trying to pledge our fraternity. And I had a date for that, for that one uh, for that, that particular event, but I had asked her the night before, after I had had a few Cokes and it was kind of dark and stuff. And so I went and picked her up and she had all this makeup on. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work out. You you know, we just both kind of knew this isn't going to, I mean, it's like, you know, so anyway, so it's like someone hit me in the candelabra and I didn't know who it was that I, I was going out with. And so anyway, so I, uh, uh, was basically by myself. Well, they were playing the rules wrong on the roulette table. So I was winning money at the roulette table every time. And I was totally sober and I was cheering and doing all this. My wife saw my name tag, Doug, and she recognized me when she saw me like a couple of days later. (laughs) And, and so, so then I, I saw her like, let's say maybe a week or two later. And At the at the post office. And so I walked her to class and I was late to my engineering class, which I'm never late to my engineering class. And so then then I saw her. I was trying to get away from this girl. And and so she was actually laying out in a two piece bikini and she called my name and I went over and started talking to her. I asked her, I said, said, "Okay, let's go. to. uh, Will you go with me to a football game? If a girl says yes to a football game at A and M, yes, you know you're in. Okay. You're in <laughs> because here, here's why. Here's why because if you really like her, you'll ask her to Friday the Midnight Yell. You know, at A and M we have a Midnight Yell practice at for home games before. Oh yeah, before the the football uh, the football game on Saturday midnight, you have a Midnight Yell.
0: It's like a pep rally. If you
1: take. Yes, it's like a pep rally, right. but it's held in the football stadium, yep. and like thirty thousand people <laughs> go it, go to it. So I didn't ask her to go to that. I just asked her to to go to the the uh, the the football game. But it doesn't matter because if she goes to the football game, you're know you're in because you get to score, you get to kiss every time the football team scores. See, when A <laughs> and <A&M> sucked, <Wow. laughs> they would they would they would you would kiss on every first down. the rules are changing
0: so you can make out
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely 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 so the game we went to and it was very romantic it was me (laughs) yeah and seven other guys because i was pledge trainer (laughs) and jennifer oh but she was like Oh no! It was actually great because it, it. She knew football. She was like predicting some of the plays. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. And it wound up being the game of the decade for the Southwest Conference in, in the 80s. And uh, uh, it was against Baylor. We won 35 to 32. So needless mm. to say, we we got a few smoo- smooches in yeah. on that first on that first date. So it, it was actually 34 years ago. October eighteenth, we just c- celebrated our uh, our anniversary last All week. Right, look so, at you of our first date. Yes, yes, yes. So, so that was our romantic first date. Yeah. But she didn't call me back for like two weeks. You know, she wasn't calling me back. I'd call and leave a message. Oh, and stuff. Okay. I'm like, What's going on? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you so meant like this, she
0: wasn't calling you back, and you were just like ghosting. Oh
1: no 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 okay. no 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 no. You were following up. Called, you were doing
0: your due diligence.
1: I I followed up a, cu- a couple of times. Yeah. And, you know, didn't want to act, act too interested. And then she wasn't returning, you know, wasn't really calling me back that much, you know, at all. And so, so I had a pledge. This is kind of the way my mind thinks. It's kind of weird sometimes. So I had a pledge that was getting my signature. (laughs) So we were, we were driving around. And so we went and found a wood pile because at that time she had a squirrel. My my future wife had a pet squirrel. In a room. And so we yes, yes. And so I told you she was very liberal. Yeah. And so, you (laughs) know, walking around, no shoes and stuff. She she had this squirrel. It would be in her backpack and it would go and crawl around and stuff like that. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I was like, okay, okay. She won't call me back, right? So I said, okay. So we went and got two logs. Hey, this is kind of interesting, kind of a barbecue story. So got two sticks of wood, you know, the big sticks with bark. I put a rare there and I put a card in there for her to give me a call. She wasn't in, you know, because the dorms and stuff, they're all locked and stuff. This is back, you know, when when everything was real conservative. So anyway, I just, just started dialing people in and finally got a hold of someone. I said, hey, come down, pick the, uh, pick this up and give this to Jennifer when she comes in. And so they came down and then, you know, as the story goes, you know, when Jennifer came home, they called her and like, we've got something for you, but we're not sure what it is. It's two pieces of wood and a rose and a card in a paper bag. (laughs) (laughs) She called me the next day. Nice. So, so it, it worked. And so, yeah, we, we dated for, for a while and, um, um, off and on. And, you know, I still had the detachment disorder going on and, and, um, so that was, you know, October. And so we, uh, you know, we were we were dating and, and I'd be hot. I'd be cold. And so finally, right before spring break, I'm headed to a test. She meets me on my way to my test, you know, my last test before spring break. And she goes, I'm not putting up with this shit. You're off and on. And so she goes, we're done. We're, we're not uh, and and I'm going and having fun on my spring break I'm like okay and like so I was late to the test had to be in all the way in the back of the class and um, uh, you know was thinking about it and stuff but um, so finished the test was going with some buddies you know South Padre was the you know the place to go when we were in college and yeah. so we, we went to South Padre I had been to South Padre many years and stuff and so after a couple two three days I couldn't scam I didn't want to scam I was like, "What the hell is she doing? Where is she?" Uh, and so we stayed at this flea bag hotel, the Sands Motel. Lit- you know, literally, this is payphone time, right? Payphone. Yeah. So I was using the payphone at the Sands Motel in Brownsville, Texas, outside of South Padre, and the people, the owners, felt so sorry for me; they were actually bringing me tacos. So I knew she was staying at her friend's house uh, in in McAllen. So I started calling. The Chappas in McAllen to find her. Luckily, a Tuto Chapa starts with an A, and I found where she was staying in McAllen. I said, "Let's talk when we get back." And so we did. Cried like a baby. She forgave me, and then ever since then, we've been we've been together. And no hot so. and cold after that. Negative. Yeah, negative. Mm-hmm. I got over it. I got over it. So, now she she finally put put the screws to me and she was just the the independent woman that I needed. Yeah. You know, needed to uh, to really kind of kind of put me in my place. So, so yeah.
0: um you guys are married like after you get out of college then?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we waited um we waited till we were both 23. We waited till the I graduated in in the you know, say December of eighty eight we married, July first of uh of uh eighty nine. All right. Is is when we married. Which was her parents' twentieth seventh year anniversary, oh, well, by nice. the way. So yeah. share date. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. She, she, she didn't, uh, when I, when I asked her to get engaged You know, I, I heard Rusty's kind of story and stuff like that, Jennifer was not like that at all. I actually had to surprise her. So when, when I worked at that, that company, you know, the semester before my victory lap, I, I worked a ton. I'd work 18 hours and you'd pay me by the hour. And so I saved up, enough money. And I had friends that were Jewish who had a family member that owned a place in New York, you know, a diamond place in New York. And so I got the diamond mounted it. And then I went up there to her parents and then I had a limo pull up to her house and her mom's like, you know, what's happening. You know, what's happening. And she's like, he can't afford it. He can't afford it. He can't afford it. So we took a limo from a uh, from Waco to go to a and And everyone always gets engaged under the century tree, but I wanted to get engaged under bell tower. Mm -hmm. And you know, people drive around and honk and stuff, and so we we got engaged there. And then, actually, that was happened to be the same limo driver that we had for our wedding. Really? So yeah, it's kind of a weird story. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird story. So, but uh, anyway, but yeah. So anyway, so they had. I kind of, I definitely surprised her with asking her to marry me because she didn't, uh, she didn't think I could afford a diamond ring.
0: Uh, Where are you guys living out of college?
1: Um, We moved to we moved to uh, uh, San Antonio where I had done the internship and took, and took that job there. She was uh, actually working in, in Waco. So she lived in Waco until we got married and then, you know, came down here and stuff. And, you know, one of the, mo- you know, there are moments that kind of you remember and stuff. So when I was moving into my apartment out of, you know, my parents' house and stuff, and, and, you know, this is probably, you know, two or three months before we got married and stuff. And my parents, because, Number one, I was marrying a Catholic. That's a wrong, wrong religion. So she had horns and I was, and my wife came from the wrong socio-economic status. I mean, we were middle-class. My wife was poor, uh, from a poor family and stuff. And so my parents actually, mainly my mom was against me marrying her. Oh. And so when I was moving out, they refused to lift a finger and, um, We had already kind of had had some problems with my parents before then, because like in in college, they had they had um, I had wrecked my car and um, I was looking for a car and I told them I was going to buy a Camaro. And they said you're going to buy this Camaro. And I said, (laughs) or you're not going to buy this Camaro. And I said, no, I'm going to buy that Camaro. And so they told me no. And I said. Okay. And so the next day I went and bought the damn Camaro. Yeah. And so we were always, you know, I was already kind of having some problems back then. And uh, so anyway, they didn't lift a finger and they almost didn't come to our wedding, by the way, because they, they, because I didn't ask my brother to be in the wedding. And, And uh, I said, no, I'm not close enough to him. He's not going to be in the wedding. And then so I actually had to call him to the call him to the carpet. I said, "Okay, we're about to print the invitations. And if you are not coming to the wedding, your name is not on the invitation. Yeah. And so then they decided that they were going to come to the wedding.
0: Were you uh, always distant from your brother? Then Was it more like because of the age? You guys just didn't have that much in common or what?
1: Yeah. he. You know he's um he was diagnosed you know and and was probably overdiagnosed, but i think he was with the adhd the attention deficit hyperactive disorder and but i mean when he would ride his little rocking horse he would ride it to go up and down when he went to sleep he would he would bounce his head on the pillow and stuff he he had you know there there were there is something different about him and so you know seven and a half years we never really bonded too much and stuff, you know. I, you know, and stuff. And um, unfortunately, he got in drugs, and no. you know, and there was nothing really I could I could do about it. I tried to. He hung out with a bad guy. Um, I hung out with you know bad kids when I was in third and fourth grade. He hung out with bad kids when he was in high school. Yeah. So you know, there's there's a difference there. Yeah. So, yeah, and so unfortunately, I've never real, really been been close to him.
0: Has he uh, cleaned and, up his act since then or no. is he still uh, involved? No, he's
1: in prison. He's in prison. He's in prison uh, for
0: uh, drug use or was he in crime? To uh to you know, it uh, interesting. support the today, habit.
1: <laughs> today, you know, today I was trying to figure out what what the latest charge was that he was in, and I was going, you know, going on these public records and stuff like that. And yeah. they wanted, you know, signing up and fourteen bucks. I'm screw that. The last thing I know that he did was, um, uh, he robbed a lady with a knife. He had a knife, and so it's uh, aggravated a robbery with a deadly weapon or something like yeah, that. sure. And you know, with with his with his, he had all kinds of drug, pro- you know, drug arrests and. He robbed a bank once, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, paid a guy, you know, to take him away. And, you know, he was in jail for something else. And the Fed came and said, we've got you on video. And so he'd, you know, finish one term and went to another. He 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 has a terrible, terrible alcohol problem. And when you know, one of the times when he was out, he lived close to me and I went over there. Because he called me, and you know, when he gets drunk, he would call and stuff. And so I went over there. And have you heard of the drug called antabuse? No. Okay, so a- antabuse is a drug where if you drink, it makes you sick. Oh yeah yeah okay, okay. Yeah, I've heard yeah yeah that. yeah yeah. So 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 anyway, so I went over there. He had an eighteen pack by him, and he had a bucket in front of him. Oh. And he would drink. Wow. Use the bucket. And drink more, yeah. and he and he told me I'm going to drink this. And before then, you know, because I'm always a mind over matter kind of guy, I was like, "That's it. I mean, he, he can't. He cannot control it. He cannot control it." And uh, so, yeah, it, it, um, yeah. So he he's always had a, an addiction problem to, to many things and stuff. So, so he, he's, he's still in. And so hopefully he's going to get it approved by the judge for this latest time. Cause he's been in for like 11 years, Whoa. been out a few times, gotten out, you know, Parole always lasts like about that. 60 days. Yeah. And always lasts about 60 days. And then, then, then has to have an issue, you know, and stuff and gets, gets thrown back in. So he, he's supposed to be on a, get approved by the judge to be on a year long program to go into, and hopefully he'll get sober hopefully
0: you will do you ever feel like uh there was any responsibility on you to help him at all or or because you or were you insulated by no. the time gap where you know there wasn't a a, a close bond necessarily uh in the yeah, beginning a, where there, you there, felt there like you know i need to help him or you know there's something i should have done
1: I tried to help him. And in fact, I told the guy Adam, which is the guy that got him hooked on drugs in high school to stay away from him. And I told my brother to stay away from him. Wouldn't stay away from him. Yeah. And you know, the bar was always set like this for me, the bar for my brother. Cause he had ADHD was set down low. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. And I even, you know, didn't talk to my parents for 18, 18 months one time. Cause I told them they were enabling him and, they they didn't want to hear it and and so I said okay when when you can have a conversation like an adult give me a call back and it was eighteen months later yeah. so I'm a little strong so
0: at what point does live fire making a, I mean so uh, I, I guess let me back out of that I mean as you've lived in Texas I mean I would assume exposure is great to. You know, all different yeah. kinds of barbecue, but, uh, you know, you're, uh, I, I, you're a successful aerospace engineer, um, which you're not an aerospace engineer at this point. And we'll talk about the professional transition and, and how that happens. Cause I would assume that once you're an aerospace engineer, like that's something everybody would want to do and stay in forever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but where does live fire start to mix into all of this and, and start to pique your interest? Um
1: yeah, live fire. I need to get a charger. I hate to do this. <laughs> Doug's leaving the show, everybody.
0: <laughs> Come back tomorrow for part two. I wish I would have downloaded the uh pictures of the chori pollo. Uh, I, <laughs> I did have choripoyo <laughs> last night. That's right. <laughs> Chor- I had it last <laughs> night, believe it or not. Free guacamole for everybody. Half off margaritas.
1: That's right. All right. He's back. All right. Sorry. My, 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 my computer was about to run out. Yeah. Um, so my wife is an incredible cook. She's a natural cook. And um, I never cooked. When I was growing up, my mother made kind of three dishes, chicken with rice that I'd usually, I'd usually have to put it in the oven because she was working. I'd, you know, uh, get home by myself. And then, um, after tennis, um, goulash and shepherd's pie. I eat none of those to this day because I ate it all the damn time. (laughs) My dad, you know, my dad would do steaks, pork chops. And I got to thinking about this. I ate a lot of hot dogs. (laughs) <laughs> which which kind of goes back to my hatred of hot dogs. So, so, um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I did for myself, you know, the master chef that I was when I was growing up in, in high school as well as when we got married, I made a lot of nachos, salads, and that's what I would eat all the time. My motto used to be, if it took longer to make than eat, it wasn't worth the time. Hmm. Wasn't worth the time. And so I was microwave boy. And so my wife would, you know, do stuff and, and, uh, you know, after, after college, I actually took up tennis again. So, uh, you know, being competitive and stuff, I, I started playing again and there was a guy in town that I pissed me off and I said, okay, I'm going to get a team and we're going to beat your ass every year. And so we beat his team 10 out of 11 years after I got out of college. And so we actually, you know, I got to play at Flushing Meadow and stuff. And oh, nice. and uh, so the point, the point of the matter is when I do something, I do it 150%. And that's just the way I am. So when I got into cooking, you know, and so in 2009, a neighbor of mine asked me to I had done, you know, I did grilling and stuff, you know, on a Weber, and you know, a little bit of that, and I had a Weber Smoky Mountain that I cooked on. I hated it. I actually gave it away after three cooks. I hated the water pan. I hated that stupid thing. So um, you didn't need to in two thousand and nine, <laughs> huh? You didn't need to use it. <laughs> Well, I tried using it and I hated, I hated, you couldn't get to the charcoal. They needed a door on the bottom and I you had to move the water pan. I'm like, this is stupid design. Hated the design. You take, so I gave it away. You, you take
0: the whole thing off and off the charcoal
1: yeah. bowl. Yeah, that, that just you. was too much. I was like, uh-uh, just put a damn door down there. I almost cut it myself. But anyway, so, a, a, you know, a neighbor of mine kind of getting into barbecue, a neighbor of mine asked me to be in a a, a charity event in, in September 2009. And so I said, eh, you know, I saw him at the, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me think about that, you know, not intending to ever do anything. And then I saw uh, it was, it was one of the, like the barbecue stars or something with Chris Lilly and he was on TV and, you know, and, and a contest and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do that once. I'll do it once. And so I called my neighbor back and I said, Hey, you got a grill? And he's like, no, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll borrow a friend of mine's grill and and we'll go do this. And so we, we practiced and he was OCD type A, I'm OCD type A. And so we practiced and, you know, he lived, I could, I could walk to his, to his house. He's probably, I don't know, two acres that way. So maybe, 400 yards. So, anyway, so I, you know, I could walk to his house and so he we had the grill out there and so we practiced and stuff and and then we went to that first contest and and there were 53 teams and you know, uh it was it was at this big venue. They were going to have like 4 or 5,000 people there and stuff and so they had the the calls this is the only only event I've ever been to. They had the calls of 4 through 10 at at offsite You know, kind of uh, before the awards ceremony, because they didn't want to bore the two or three thousand people that were going to be there. Right, you know, announcing these other so, and we got in chef's choice only like 11 people entered and we got like not his wife got ninth and we're like god this sucks so we're <laughs> smoking cigars drinking beer when they're you know doing awards and we're like we're not even going to go to awards and it you know was probably you know 100 feet away and and um, so we're like okay we'll go to awards and so lo and behold they called the second for brisket uh, second for ribs which were his and third for brisket which was mine and we got two gold belt buckles wow and, and, and so, and we finished third overall, barely, minished, yeah, barely missed reserve grand champion and beat all three barbecue restaurants in town and stuff that were in, because uh, at the time there were only that many. And, um, and so then we started cooking together. So that's kind of how I got the, the bug and, of, of cooking and stuff. And so I just, you know, researched the hell out of it and started practicing and reading a bunch of books.
0: What was the team?
1: At that point, flame worthy barbecue, flame worthy bar- barbecue,
0: flame worthy barbecue. All right. Um, you've recently yeah. told this story before, so yeah. um, maybe I'll, I'll give I'll... the the cliff notes version here. But uh, you end up doing a competition without your uh, co-pit master. And there was, there was some agreement made where uh, you were going to cook uh, a certain recipe for the brisket. But in in game time, the team recipe, the team recipe. But in in crunch time, you throw caution to the wind. You cook Doug's recipe, and uh, did you did you?
1: Not exactly true. I I cooked four briskets. I cooked three the team way, and I cooked one my way, which two years before had gotten fourth place at the San Antonio Rodeo out of three hundred teams.
0: But you're turning in Doug's brisket.
1: I decided. His <laughs> wife decided. Right even though he wasn't there, and my wife. We right. all said that was the best one. And so then, that is totally correct. How
0: do you finish in that competition?
1: We wound up getting 16th in chicken, second in brisket, and fourth <laughs> overall. If I gotten stinking first in brisket, I'd have been reserve grand champion. But anyway, all right. so yeah. We're not yeah, harboring I, yeah. any bad feelings. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, great news, second in brisket. You get... To this yeah. guy's Great. house um, after he gets back in town. He's out of town for whatever reason. And he, uh, I guess, gives you you know some kind of, of adulation, but then also tells you that uh, you have more or less disgraced the team. You didn't cook the agreed-upon recipe. And uh, by doing that, you've also eliminated yourself from the team. Uh, Because exactly, you because you went rogue
1: and cooked and turned in your brisket. He pointed his finger at me. He well, he said that when the coach tells you to bunt and you swing for the fences, sometimes you hit a home run. You did, but when you made the rogue decision to cook your own recipe, is when you decided you're no longer part of the team. Wow,
0: and that was it. He kicked you off the team, and away you go. You kicked me off the team.
1: Yeah. I said I'd have respected you as a man if we would have talked about it face to face. Where he said I'm, we're talking about it right now. I said no, Clint, you are lecturing me, and he's a he's a speaker, but you know by that's his occupation. I said no, you are lecturing me, Jennifer. Get your shit. We're gone. So if yeah, he would have,
0: so are you saying that if if you guys would have showed up at his house, and he would have said, hey. You know, let's talk about the second place brisket. I thought we agreed that you were going to turn it in. And, you know, I I understand that you did well. And my wife and your wife also taste tested. And and this was the right one to turn in. But, man, uh, I mean, you know as well as I did, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. So, you know, I I just can't have you on the team anymore. Would that have gone over any better? Um, Or if he would have been like, hey, Doug, come on over. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be kicking you off the team.
1: And, yeah, and that, we'll have and a brief discussion.
0: <laughs> that,
1: that's kind of the way it was because I was giving him, he was, I gave him almost all the trophies that, you know, if there was a trophy that I wanted, we just got a duplicate mate. So, but, um, you know, we, if we would have talked about it a little bit, I think, you know, he was telling me that was the way it was. And, you know, he wasn't the damn chief cook that day. I was, Yeah, he wasn't there. I'm the damn chief cook. There's only one chief cook. And I was there, I was doing it. That was my last cook on an offset. I had a phone on my chest and every 20 minutes it would go off and I'd go check the gator pit that we had, which was his. I'd go check it and say, okay, this is the piece of wood that I need to put on there. And I'd put it on there. And I did that every 20 minutes till four in the morning. And then as my wife so greatly pointed out to me that she took it over from four to six (laughs) so I could get two (laughs) hours of sleep that day. So you can be sharp for turn-ins. Wow. Yeah. For do some you, reason, I keep r- forgetting that part of the story, but she reminds me all the time.
0: Do you think that he was just overtly jealous and didn't know how to cope? Um, or do you think well, he had any... Do you think he had a right to part your company?
1: Um, here's the thing. It was for the San Antonio Rodeo. There's the rodeo. There's a rodeo barbecue, right? He's on the executive top committee of the rodeo. And I told him when I had had a few Cokes on that Saturday night and he called me, um, I said, they're going to give you a lot of shit because we did so well and you weren't here. And then I, I actually told him that night that I didn't cook, you know, I cooked one, my recipe and, you know, three, the team recipe and, you know, it, it was better and stuff. And so he, he, he had some time to plan it out and stuff, but um, he, he, type A personalities and stuff. And so, he, have I lost you? Yeah, uh, you're, you're back now. I'm sorry. Okay. Both type okay. A personalities. So, yeah, top, type A personalities and stuff. And he's actually done really well um, off on his own. And it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me from a barbecue standpoint.
0: Uh, as you progress now as row Cookers, how does Traeger avail itself? How does working with Head Country avail itself? It's all... You know, really name brand stuff in the industry,
1: right? So, you know the the I I it, this was 2014 when I started cooking by my by myself, January of of 2014. My first cook off on a on a Traeger, which I bought at a kiosk in the mall. Um, I figured, heck, a thousand bucks. They were the first one. I'll buy it. It can't be, you know. I'll sell it on Craigslist if I don't know. You know, my first cook off. I it was 100. It was one of the Western Wood, you know, the Western Wood yep. chunks, you know, series and stuff. So they had a series of three of them and stuff. My first one, my, I, I cooked it on barrels. Wind blew, 30 miles an hour. White smoke, of smoke. Tastes like charcoal. I said, that'll never happen again. Bought a Traeger. The next one, the next contest, because it was a series of three and uh, three cook-offs. The, the next one I finished, I don't know, it was like 14th in ribs and 16th and, and um, uh, brisket out of... Uh, 150, 160 teams or so. I'm like, shoot, I can do this. This, this will work. Pellet cookers will work. And I think I was the first one to cook on pellet cook- cookers exclusively in Texas, best I know. So I was like, this, this, this is fine. Even though I staggered it on one pit, I cooked chicken ribs and brisket oh, on wow. one pit. Uh a, uh, a little Texas or a Pro 34. If you know the, this, the Pro 34, it was the precursor to that. And so the, the 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 next cook off I did pretty well too, and I wound up finishing um, uh, in in the top I don't know third or twenty five percent, even though I stunk in that in that first one, and uh, so that's when I started cooking on Traegers, and so the the first year at the Houston Rodeo, I think I got. Um, I cooked, I uh, got asked to cook for a guy who was with me when at that San Antonio radio, when I cooked by myself, he, he was, he was there next to me and I won't go into that long story, but, um, he had actually asked me to cook for the Jack because he got in a piss match with his, his, his cookers over the trophies and so i cooked the jack with him and so then he asked me to cook the houston rodeo so i cooked cooked the houston rodeo and i got i don't know it's like 30th in brisket or something like that and he goes okay i'll give you one more year so that next year (laughs) i cooked on a traeger and won yeah you know so yeah oh yeah no it's one of those deals and i said that's fine i'll I'll do i'll do one more year and i and i cooked chicken and then wound up winning you know i beat darren worth by like point two points the goat in 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 my book but um beat him in, in chicken and uh, so then that's when that's when Traeger took notice of me they used my name on the press release for the American Royal went up and cooked the American Royal got the top traeger cooker up there you know one of their awards and then 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 went to the jack and got first in a chef's choice in uh, cooking steak and potatoes we did it and we put it on a one plate. <laughs> that my wife got at the dollar store. Nice. So, but, but anyway, so we got first place. I mean, we weren't even paying attention. It was one of those times, you know, where they call, you know, called the team name a couple of times. But we're like, what? Us? We, we weren't even paying attention. So, but it, it, it was, yeah. So then after, after that happened, Traeger said, okay, we're going to get a consulting arrangement with you and, you know, get you here to teach classes and do events and stuff like that. So that's when the relationship started with Traeger. So that would have been fall of uh, 2015. And then, of course, I you know my my first exposure to you was was right after the um, uh, the Houston Rodeo. My, that was what probably end of February, beginning of March, yep. sort of time frame where I, when I interviewed with you after after that, and that was during the time when you were trying to get you know into uh, into Texas. You were br- trying to break away a little more from the you know the NBN and. You know Florida and KCBS stuff, so it kind of coincided with your goals that year. So that's when I came on board with you as well. So I was on board with you, and then then um, you know Head Country probably brought me on the year the year after. And I've I've used Head Country since day one. My my friend Willie Dillon in, introduced it to me back in two thousand and eight when I started you know doing you know some barrel cooking and stuff, and and I've used it ever uh, ever since, all the time.
0: Where did you make the change from aerospace engineer into what you're doing now and why? Um,
1: yeah, I was, you know, I had kind of transition. I got my professional engineering designation and, and stuff. And, you know, so, uh, and I still keep that cause that was too damn hard to, 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 get, but I was at a, at a different job and they, you know, the difference between sales and marketing. Right. Yeah. It's two ends. of It's two ends of the same string is the way I like to think of it. Right. 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 You know, you, you're both you're both attached, but you've got different, you know, you're moving together. You're, yeah, but all right. So my job, um, they said they were going to increase my marketing budget by 100 percent and they were going to also increase my sales budget by 100 percent you know, and I had international distributors in Germany, Japan, Korea, and, you know, in Italy. And and I'm like, I'm trying to break into the FDA. You know, I'm just trying to get our software approved by the FDA. I'm like, just because you're going to spend hundred percent more on marketing, which wasn't much at all. Anyway, you know, maybe (laughs) it went from 20,000 to 40,000. And I'm like. That's 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 not the way it's going to work. I'm not going to increase my sales from four million to eight million. Yeah, you know, and or whatever it was at the time. And so I knew, and I argued with them for many months, and and they weren't budging on this. And so I was I was look I was looking to to do something different. And then a guy that worked for me in Houston ran when I was at that small company that I grew from three to 19, we had a Houston office. And so he was my head software sales guy over there. He had been looking to do something with me. And so he he called on this uh, business broker. He worked for LexisNexis, if you've heard of of LexisNexis, information gathering. Yeah, so he was in sales for LexisNexis. He called on corporate 500 uh, companies basically when they wanted to go acquire the, you know, they Lexus Nexus to find the litigious nature and, you know, the size and all this stuff. And so, so he called on a business broker and he's like, Hey, this is, this sounds interesting. You know, I can't believe this is legal. And, uh, I liked it because it was a variety thing. You know, I like variety. I don't like to do the same thing. And that's kind of what I found out in the, in the engineering world is kind of doing the same thing and, and stuff, even though I liked it. Um, I was in front of the computer i wasn't you know talking to people and stuff and so um he 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 basically said hey let's start this business brokerage so we started a business brokerage in 2005 Hmm. together he moved from houston over here and then we started it together and then um, we were actually part of a franchise and um we got certified right away and and uh, you know you have to be a year and get some transactions under your belt and you know it's a tough basically it's a you what you kill You know, if, if it's commission only, so you, we didn't make money the first eight or nine months or so after starting the business and, you know, we invested about a hundred thousand in it and, you know, 50 each and, and uh, you know, didn't make any money the, the first year for the most part. And so, but, um, but, uh, and it's a high turnover industry, about a third of the people turn over every year because, you know, not everyone can survive a year without making any income. Yeah. I, I
0: don't know anybody that can survive a year without making any income to be honest.
1: <laughs> well, these days it's kind of, it's kind of true. You got to be younger, yeah. right? So, oh yeah. But, uh, it'll be used yeah, to have yeah, enough. So anyway, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but anyway, so, yeah, so, you know, we, we've done pretty well. And, and so we do that and I do equipment appraisals, um, on, uh, as well. We have another company that does equipment appraisals, uh, that where that's we, kind of technical in nature. So you have to have, you know, some technical knowledge of equipment and stuff. And so that's kind of where I, I keep my technical juices flowing.
0: Do you think, or do you have any desire to do a barbecue job full time? Uh, for instance, you see like Chad Ward or D the Q, um, there's a handful of others that have managed to make barbecue full time. Is it something that if it presented itself, you would look at, or would that ruin something?
1: um, I've talked to Chad about doing that because, you know, there's been several times where we've been kind of at the end of our, you know, we've had $200 in the, you know, the corporate bank account and we weren't sure, you know, if we were going to be, be able to make rent next month and stuff. And, <clears throat> but you know, that's come come to pass about two or three times. Um, and uh, I don't think I want to travel that much. Number one, you know, I think there would be a position with Traeger, I, you know, whether it's even on the engineering side or, you know, to help them with those sorts of things and, you know, and, and do events or et cetera. But, um, you know, as, as we've talked about, it would turn a passion into work. Yeah. And like, just like you said, it, it would change your mindset. Right now, it's fun. I develop recipes for Traeger, you know, head country. And, and so it's a lot of fun. It it would, it would change it. Plus, I'd have to be on the road you know, before the COVID I'd have to be on the road. Heck I was doing last year. We did 27 weekends of barbecue. Yeah. 27. And, and I don't even cook that often. And, you know, let's say I cook 12 to 15. So there's 12 to 15 plus another, you know, 12 or 13, 14, 15 with Traeger events, training classes. I did, I think 10 classes last year. Yeah. So when you're in um, half a year at that point, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's taken on a life of its own every year. It's, it's different and it's great, you know, from, from the standpoint of, you know, the, the exposure of, of what I get. And, and, and I do truly appreciate you bringing me on and interviewing me and, you know, being the first correspondent and stuff like that. That's been great. And, and, uh, it's been more notoriety than, you know, cause I meet people like I met. Craig Hansen of ACE at, yep. at the NBBQA where, where you went to. And he's like, oh, I know you from the barbecue central show. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. So, you know, I mean, that happens more often than, than, than you think when, when you go to those type of events and stuff. So, but um, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and, um, but I still make a good living doing my business brokerage. Yep.
0: This is Doug Scheiding. He's the longest-running embedded correspondent right there in Texas and uh, contracting with Traeger, doing work with Head Country. I mean, what a story he has to tell here, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, Doug, I really appreciate you coming on and talking all about it from uh, beginning to where we're at today. And, of course, like I've told everybody else, uh, I mean, you know, we've been... Uh, chopping it up in some form or fashion here over the last you know five six years, and uh, you know r- you really anchoring the embedded correspondence portion has been uh, really mission critical, and uh, not only getting that segment started, but uh, really growing it into the successful segments that it has become. Uh, you know, over the last handful of years, it's something that all the listeners look forward to, and getting a different perspective from. You know, somebody that's in the industry in a different way than me, it's uh, unbelievable. Whether you like hot dogs or not, uh, totally irrelevant. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> Whether they touch your grills or not, totally irrelevant. Whether you hate still, kids or not, totally irrelevant. Whatever. None. No. That's fine. But, uh, man, uh, you have uh, really been a, a great uh, relationship of mine, uh, both on the internet and off the internet, and uh, truly grateful for everything. Uh, that you've done for me and the show and and outside of the show as well. So I just wanted to tell you that and uh, look forward to chopping it up again with you next month.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I I truly appreciate it. It's helped me open up a lot of doors being a barbecue correspondent for this, you know, barbecue central show. And so it's been great. And so uh, I love the group that we have now, and I think we have good chemistry and stuff. So um, I'm really excited about, about going forward with it, too. And continuing. Doug,
0: thanks again so much. You bet. Thank you. There he is. Doug Shiding from Rogue Cookers. And that is Doug's origin story. Is that enough for you? We're going on three hours and 16 minutes worth of shows right here. They'll all be chopped up at podcast. Derek Riches will be first up on Wednesday, but by the time you're hearing this, it will already have come to pass. So uh, thanks again to everybody that stopped through the show this evening. Actually, yesterday, as we close it out here, 16 minutes past, a new day on Wednesday. All the way back in the first hour, we thank Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com. Rusty Monson started out that second hour and brought us through to the third. He is the pitmaster of Salt City Barbecue. Look for his food truck when it launches here. Whenever this COVID crap stops and he can take his necessary tests and get rocking and rolling. Great origin story from Rusty. Appreciate his sharing. And of course, closing it out with Doug Shiding from Rogue Cookers, longest running embedded correspondent out of Texas. And what a story he has to weave. Wow unbelievable you know as I've as we are closing out the month of origin stories and as I go back and listen once we started getting through you know a a good handful of these I've come to find out that the embedded correspondence and the uh, show regulars are connected in many more ways than I even realized Bringing that whole small world thing to the forefront once again. Hope everybody enjoyed this past month of Origin Stories. They were absolutely fabulous. Lots of great feedback. So we'll uh, see how these might continue as bonus content into the future. But we're locked and loaded with a new month of shows coming up with Malcolm Reed and Sam the Cooking Guy next Tuesday. Uh, We're actually all locked up for the whole month of November, believe it or not. Until next Tuesday, let me say this, September eleventh, two 2001, I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.
1: This is Dino Dan from Cypress, California, and you're watching the Barbecue Central Show.